Let us open our Bibles to Psalm 2. Um, I briefly covered this passage on our Christmas dinner, but I felt that I, I rushed through this passage. And I, but I want to do justice to this passage because it is Christ-exalting, because it's Christ-magnifying. And if you want to see the sun in the Old Testament, here it is, Psalm 2. Let us read the passage, and then we'll pray. We'll get into today's message. Amen? The reign of the Lord's anointed. Verse 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrifying them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, we humble ourselves, we come with a contrite spirit, Lord, seeking Your Son, seeking the Lord, the Savior, wanting to exalt Him, magnify Him, Lord, because He is worthy, worthy to be praised. I pray, Lord, that You use my lips as a vessel. That's all it is to preach your word. Again, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message, Christ and Him crucified, Him resurrected, Him in glory. Lord, we pray that you guide us all through this year that remains and the new year 2024 with this in mind, that Christ is all in all. And if there's ever any doubt, Lord, we could come to the cross running, embracing Him because He's worthy. He's all, all-powerful, as we will see this morning, Lord. It is in Your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Now, last week I came across a very interesting article. The article was about artificial intelligence. It's all over the news now, and it relayed the impact it will have in our society. The author of the article is a professor named Yuval Harari. You may ask yourself who Yuval Harari is. Fair question. Yuval Harari is a major contributor and conference speaker 
for the World Economic Forum, the WEF. If you don't know what the WEF is, it is a global organization that predicts and advises how the world's economy ought to spend its resources based on their agendas. Now, for the sake of context, Harari had been explaining how AI is different than any other previous technological breakthrough. Because it is the first technology that can make decisions, including decisions about human, humans and generate ideas. Harari continued by stating that AI could in fact write its own Bible. Alluding that it would perfect the Bible. Therefore, perfecting our moral and ethical laws. He said, and I quote, AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. In a few years, there might be religious or, or religions that are actually correct. That just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be the reality in a few years. What should we make sense of these remarks? What does this article have to do with today's passage? Well, as we will see, it has to do with everything with today's passage. We will notice that sin's role or sole purpose is to usurp and dethrone God from His rightful place. As righteous judge and creator of all the universe, sin will always be on the prowl to create idols that replace God and all that represents God. My goal this morning is to point us to Christ, nothing more, nothing less, and to illustrate Him as the one who is supreme over all things. Especially as we turn to the, the pages of time and uh, to a new year, 2024, I want us to have this idea fresh in our minds, to have Christ in our hearts and to enjoy His commandments, that He is the center of our lives, the very center of our lives. I also want us to see how this psalm takes us through the message of the gospel and by always pointing us to our Savior. Today's title message is, Kiss the Son, the Supremacy of Christ. Kiss the Son, the supremacy of Christ. There are four main points. Number one, we will see the foolishness of man, sin. Number two, God's posture on sin. Number three, God's king is set for judgment. Number four, God's grace and patience against sinners. Let's get to point number one. First thing we notice in Psalm, in this Psalm, is the cause of the original sin. We notice that sin permeates in all levels of human existence, even to the highest position of power. The lords and kings of this earth desire unknowingly or knowingly to supplant God and the truth that He represents. The psalmist David reminds us that the effect of the original sin and how men continue on this sinful path of attempting to supplant God and redefine everything that God originally created. 
This is nothing new, beloved. The Bible gives us many accounts of men trying to supplant God. It started at the garden. Man thought he would be like God. It carried over to the Tower of Babel. And even today, we create our own towers, don't we? Like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Today we have the same problem. Sin has empowered man to think that they can dethrone God. We have governments trying to redefine God's moral law, redefining sex, gender, family, virtues, and truth. People calling all sorts of evil things good and good things evil. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 1 to 3. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. Futile. The world's politicians and rulers may or may not be aware that all their plans ultimately, spiritually, is to dethrone God from His rightful place. That is the end goal. Whether Putin or Biden or any other ruler that is not in Christ, their innate sin leads them to usurp all that is godly and replace God with human foolishness. Because that is what it is. Foolishness. Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's, man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. That is what the foolish man does. This is precisely what sin does. It brings all men's ways to ruin, thinking that somehow, some way, they can do better than God. Sin blinds man and leads him into foolish and erratic thinking. Sin does not care how good-hearted you think you may be. Sin's end goal is to turn all that God has created upside down. Sin justifies its causes and ignores the consequences. This is why you see politicians justifying innocent life being murdered in bombings. And let me tell you, it goes both ways, both sides. This is what sin does. It blinds men. That is the power of sin, beloved. Now, what does that mean to you and to me? Or for you and, and me? This is to teach us that. We have to be aware of sin. And have a proper view on sin. This is not something they teach in every church. Sin. Something they get away from. Because although we have been redeemed, we are prone to foolishly sin, aren't we? Replacing God in our lives with our own presuppositions and human logic. We do that often. You know, the kind of sin that when we twist God's word to our own advantage or we ignore a certain imperative command in the scriptures to appease our own conscience. We do that. Let me give you an example. You've heard this before. You don't need the church to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You've heard that. Especially in Miami, you've heard that. 
It's a well-known argument for those who just don't want to commit to the church. But is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what God holds believers to? If anything else, the Bible teaches us that a growing faith and communion with Christ is closely intertwined with your, your relationship and how you view the body of Christ, the church. The point is, beloved, that we are easily carried away with our own desires and start creating a better law and a better ordinance than the one that God has ordained for us. We have to be careful because unknowingly we are acting as the foolish, as foolish as the world leaders and non-believers, usurping God's place with our own thrones. Think about that for a minute. Another point is a Another point is a great reminder of the vastness of God's power and our futile and stupid attempts to overthrow God from His rightful place as God. The psalmist asks a question, a fair question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why? It is precisely that. It is in vain that these world leaders and all the peoples of the world plot against God. It's in vain. One very famous king from the Old Testament got this hint quick. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord shut down his pride quickly. The Lord turned his mind into one of an animal. And for seven years, he was eating grass like the cattle in the field. When he regained his consciousness, this is what he said. At the end of the, of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All, all, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as what? Nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples on earth. No one can hold back His hand and say to Him, What have you done? It should be of comfort to us that the Lord sits on the throne unfaced by the actions and dealings of kings and rulers. It doesn't matter what happens in 2024. It doesn't matter who gets elected in office. There is one king on the throne that will not be voted off ever. Nebuchadnezzar said this on verse 37. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. The same God that humbled the most powerful king then. Is he not able to humble your angry boss in 2024? Or break the will of, of your unruly children? Is he not that powerful? We have a God that is unfazed by the will of man. 
Point number two. We've seen now the sin and the power of it. But what is God's posture on sin? The psalmist just reminds us that sin is the problem. It is the problem. The virus. The disease that causes separation from God. Once sin takes a hold of the human heart, we became our own worst enemy. Our own biggest problem. In our fallen nature, we don't recognize it because we are curved inward. We don't see past our own flaws and shortcomings. If sin is the problem, and it is, then what, God, what is God's posture on it? What is God's posture on all the injustices ever committed? When children are slaughtered in meaningless bombings, and when people are taken hostages, and when millions are trafficked for sex, or millions of babies slaughtered at the hand of doctors through abortions. What is His posture on that? Does God turn a blind eye to these atrocities? Here's the response to man's foolishness. Look at verse 4. He, God, who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Is he laughing at the matter that the injustices know at those who are committing it? In other words, the Lord ridicules and mocks all evildoers. He laughs at their insolence and their audacity to think that they can get away with their plans to redefine all that God is. A good majority of the time when I speak to atheists, agnostics, and people who oppose Christianity, their argument comes down to this. God cannot be good because He allows evil to go rampant in this world. And they will end it with a question, where is your God in all of this? Here's the answer. Look at verse 4 and 5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my hill. I have my avenger set for that day. God looks down from his throne and sees all sorts of evil and malice ever committed against his name. Because that's what it is. All sin is against the name of God. And he doesn't take that lightly. And he's ever ready to avenge. And his weapon of, of choice is the son. He is the king set on the holy hill that will bring justice and put an end to all God's enemies. That is His posture. That, beloved, is bad news. Psalm 18, verse 8, gives us an imagery of God's posture on sin. We read this very fast. We don't like this. Not used to this. It says, smoke went up from his nostrils. Look at that imagery. And devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. Think about that. What an imagery. We don't like to think of God like that. Rather, we like to think that God turns or shrugs off our sins. And turns a blind eye. We love that Jesus. 
We've been so accustomed with the American gospel that Christ is your friend and He loves you. Well, great, I love myself too. You know, come to Him and all your problems will suddenly vanish. We've been so accustomed to hearing that this Jesus, that when we hear this Jesus, the wrathful Jesus, we cringe. But wait, Darren, doesn't God hate the sin but loves the sinner? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Psalms 5, verses 4, 4 and 5 says clearly, For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell in you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers. Let me give you another passage. Psalms 11.5 The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. That is the bad news, beloved. I didn't make it up. It's in Scripture. But this is a great reminder not, that not only the great leaders of the world are in enmity with God, but also the lovely grandmother that has not placed her faith in Christ. You know, the straight-A student who is in the honor roll, or the man or woman who volunteers at the homeless shelter. It doesn't matter if, you, if, if you're not found in Christ. You are at the sides of God's wrath. Beloved, that is bad news. It is a blessing for us believers to know that in Christ we are free of God's wrath. It's a great reminder for us. But what should our posture be on sin? This is how we ought to handle that. Acknowledging that sin is a serious offense to God. So much so that God punishes sin with death in His wrath. For you and me, it should be an ever-present reminder because someone that we know can be someone that is very close to you, a family member, a co-worker. They lie in the other side of the spectrum. And that, beloved, is a dire thing to know. Saying that, though, what a reminder that to have the gospel message ready in our tongues. Unapologetic and without fear because, beloved, the consequences of sin are real. And I hope that the gospel message will be our, our priority this upcoming 2024. To preach the gospel. Because there is bad news. Amen? Point number three. God's king is set for judgment. And it's part still of the bad news. But we'll get to the good news, I promise. Beloved, the Bible declares that all sin will one day be brought out to light. All sin. And be destroyed by the Son. And as I said, God's weapon of choice to deliver this judgment is the Son. Jesus our Lord. In verse 7 to 9, the psalmist now speaks for Jesus. 
I will tell you, or I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Let me expand a bit on these verses because it is important to get the full context so that we may understand the implications of Christ's glory. David is divinely, by the Holy Spirit, been given information about the future. The Holy Spirit is alluding to a time in place where Jesus is crowned and is given all dominion and power over the nations of the earth. We need to understand that we've, been, we've seen this image before. Actually, multiple places in Scripture. Once in Daniel and another in Isaiah. They both had the visions of Christ's ascension after His resurrection. Daniel saw the vision in chapter 7. He said, I saw in the night visions and behold. Look at, listen to this imagery. With the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting, an everlasting dominion which shall not pass, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Isaiah saw a similar vision. Chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up a throne, high and lifted up. And we know that it was Jesus who Isaiah saw, because John in his gospel confirms it in John 12, 41. Isaiah saw these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. It was Christ all along on the throne. The king set for judgment. Let me expand a bit on these verses. Not only is he the judge over all evil and wicked rulers of this world, but he sits on a throne ready to judge every evil ever committed. To you and to me, this is important. Every sin ever committed against you, every defamation, any evil act committed against you, the Lord does not forget. Nothing escapes His all-seeing eyes. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every deed into judgment, and every secret thing, whether good or evil, every sin, every deed that caused you to, to, to tear, to hurt, to experience anxiety or fear, will be brought to light, exposed and destroyed. What hope? A great reminder, beloved, that the powers of this world, whether the great nations or rulers or authorities, will one day give account for all, all the wicked things that have been committed on this earth. All. One day the same rulers who conspire and plot against the Lord and His anointed will tremble before Him. What a promise. 
The book of Revelation reminds us of that. Calling to the mountains. They will call to the mountains and rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated at the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. May that day come, Lord. Number four. Here's the good news. God's grace and patience against sinners. What blessed hope. Jesus is God's means of judgment. But most importantly, beloved, He is God's means of grace. The Bible is clear that as true a statement that God is ever ready to cast judgment on sinners, He is abundantly patient towards sinners. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach what? Repentance. David doesn't leave us with the bad news. He ends with the good news of the gospel. The same gospel we need to hear this last day of 2023. Look at verses 10 to 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. What a warning. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is a clear call to the gospel. The psalmist invites all men to repentance of their sins. He warns the kings of this world to bow down to Jesus, lest He destroy them in His wrath. Now kiss the sun, that term. We don't use that modern language. We don't. David says, David is a king. He understands that very well. This is an ancient term. When a king was defeated, uh, in an ar his army was defeated, he was presented in front of the victorious king. And he would have to prostrate himself, bow down and kiss the feet of the king whom his, whose army won, asking for mercy. In other words, this is a deep call to repentance to a dismantling of ourselves, to an emptying of all that we hold dear, all our desires, all our pride. Because, beloved, the same glorious King did become a babe, walked amongst us, lived a life worthy of fulfilling God's moral law. He bore our sins at the cross he died for our substitution and atonement. What blessed hope. At the cross, God's perfect exchange, ever gracious interchange. I cast my sins on Him and He imputes His righteousness on me. And God is satisfied What a gift. What grace. This is not a gift that you merely place under a tree. 
and you unwrap on Christmas Day. That's not how it works. No, this is much more than that. It is an everlasting covenant between the God of the ages, ages and sinners like us that we get to enjoy His kingship and His lordship for eternity. David warns us heavily against all unrighteousness and ungodliness, but doesn't leave us with the bad news. Beloved, he gives us hope. He says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you remember that sweet, that sweet embrace when Jesus took you out of your sins and your own passions and desires? You remember that time? It may have not been one specific day, but maybe a season. You remember that. I pray that this upcoming 2024, we live out the same salvation that we may proclaim Christ in all His fullness as sufficient Savior and Lord. Beloved, only in Christ do we find rest. Only in Him are we able to cast our anxieties and burdens he actually, actually invites us to, the king of the universe invites us to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is the gospel. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you don't know him this morning, I pray that he reveals himself to you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Conclusion. I'm almost there. I'll make it brief. I will end with a very famous quote from a sermon by Dr. S.M. Lockridge. You probably have heard this through YouTube, or I think he did a masterful job in capturing the supremacy of our Lord. He said, and I quote, the Bible says, He's the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. He is enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immorally grateful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king, he says. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. 
He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's able, available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes. He saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And He beautifies the meek. Do you know Him? My King is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway to deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain. Of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governors of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. He, his promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy, mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word, word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens of heaven cannot contain Him. Let alone a man explain Him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him out of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That is our king. That is our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We praise you for the supremacy of the Son. Lord, we easily forget these things as rudimentary and as primary as they are, we forget them, Lord. We at times forget our first love, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice, Lord. Thank you for what it means in our lives that we being enemies, Lord, you forsake your kingdom. You forsake your divine powers, and you came down and became one of us. Lord, thank you for your blood, for what it does in our lives today. Lord, I pray that if there's even a soul this morning that doesn't know you, from young to old, Lord, I pray.
pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word, that it may have done some impact, have an impact in their lives, in their heart, and see you now as the all-powerful King, ruler of the heavens and the earth. That only could be brought out by the Holy Spirit. It is a gift. It is grace that only you can provide. There's no one out there. No one. There's no salvation found in any other name but in you, Jesus. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.